All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Morning Wong Chat. Uh, you know, this is where I talk a little bit with my friends, different industry. We hang out, we talk, we chill. It's pretty good. It's very simple, you know. Just old friends talking. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this on Spotify, on iTunes, or any podcast service, remember, we do have this also live on stream on Twitch, but also on YouTube as vlogs afterward anyway. Uh, tonight, I have my good friend, Jimmy Wong, not related. I get that question a lot, uh, but he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he does a lot of amazing things, you know, both on screen and off screen. But, you know, he knows more about himself than I do. So I'm just going to introduce him and let him explain what he does. So, yeah. Welcome, Jimmy. How are you? What's up? I'm pretty good. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, this whole coronavirus thing is just more annoying. Yeah. But hey, I like your room a lot more than mine. It's so purple. <laughs> Dude, I have to set up a color. bunch of lights. Like there's like a giant light over there, and then a bunch of like tube light. Like look at those. Like I can turn on the light on my uh, my webcam and make it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's very white. Uh, it's, it's cute though. I like the little um, what do you call that thing from um, Totoro? Right. The white little thing on your mic. Oh, Totoro, yeah, yeah, my little Totoro here. He's my friend. Yeah, that thing's cute. My friend Totoro. <laughs> Exactly. Ah, uh, so dude, you're doing a lot of amazing stuff recently, aren't you? Oh, thanks. I guess so. I mean, I've been doing a lot. That's for sure. Oh, that's uh, I've been nonstop. Pretty busy in the coronavirus times and trying to stay as busy as possible. So, it well, there's a lot of things I want to talk about about what you do. But for those of people that don't know who you are, who who are you? <laughs> who am I? <laughs> it's uh, hard, hard for us, right? <laughs> we do so yeah, many things. I uh, I'm an actor slash host slash podcaster slash musician slash uh, I'm trying to think of other things I can put in here. Um, uh, I'm an avid nerd. I love video games. Uh, I've been in, in around the cosplay world for a long time as well um, because of League of Legends and a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, I'm in the live action adaptation of Mulan, which is coming out at some point, <laughs> the because of the coronavirus, it, the uh, the date has been shifted, so we don't actually know what the new date is yet. But that's just a, I guess, a small sampling of some of the stuff I do. Yeah, aren't speaking of Mulan? Aren't you doing a like watch, like the old the the, the animated one, right? Um, you're doing a watch show tomorrow or something like that? Yeah. So the original release date was tomorrow at uh, March 27th, but because it is no longer coming out, a lot of groups have. Um, decided to like do a watch along uh, mm -hmm. with both of us with not just us but me and then a couple of the castmates and then a lot of just people online can live tweet along with it so that's what we're doing tomorrow I think at 7pm PST 7 to 9 people are watching and, and tweeting alongside it so cool. the, yeah. uh, that's that's what's happening because it's unfortunately we could not play uh, do it in theaters mm -hmm. that's alright hello <laughs> That's my girlfriend wearing her mask and being safe. Tell her I said hi. Martin says hi. hi. She says. Well, yeah, with uh, the coronavirus going on, it's definitely messy a little bit. Um, yeah, it's been messy. It's been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, um, have you like have you tried your best to stay indoors and stuff? Yeah, we mask. haven't gone out much at all in the last. 11 days i think is when we started our um our quarantine and then the most i've done since then is i've i have an office that i still work out of 
uh, that is pretty safe. And that's where we do all my podcasting and all that stuff. And then outside of that, I don't think we've gone out out other than to pick up some stuff occasionally. But to, in general, I've, I haven't seen anyone else and talked to anyone else really in person outside of the people in this apartment. And uh, we just saw my girlfriend's parents today who happen to live like east of here by an hour. It sucks for me because I love seeing people. I'm an extreme extrovert. So <laughs> everything's canceled, everything's postponed. So it's a bit tricky. Like I did go to the uh, supermarket today just to, you know, pick up a few really? things. But oh, that's good. I mean, I think it's important to get out occasionally so you don't go stir crazy. Um, it, you know, social distancing doesn't mean do not ever talk so, to so anyone or see anyone. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can still go around and do things. Just be very, very careful. I'm just glad that I move into a house of housemates now. In fact, like, you know, people usually have housemates to save money. I would pay extra just to have housemate <laughs> at this moment. Uh, but <laughs> I, was at, yeah, I was at the supermarket and it, it was... Uh, it was kind of eerie because um, not only does the social distancing and the emptiness of it, but the shelves are like completely empty. Really? Like, still? Yeah. I thought people were, they were like restocking day by day and things were not it's so bad. It's worse now because like before it was just toilet paper. Now it's all the canned food, all the um, mm. spaghettis, like all the dry food that can be stored. Like those are all gone. And yeah. That makes no sense to me because in my view of it, we are just staying at home. We're not yeah. going crazy doing anything like it's not the apocalypse. See, it's we a FOMO situation. You know, like it's same as it's Comic Con exclusive. Like if I want that thing, everybody must want that thing. I should just get it now before everyone else does. <laughs> and uh, like, I mean, for example, like I, I have some friends who are talking about like China. China has biggest hit, but their supermarkets are fine. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, so, I mean, I think it's because if you just buy as you normally would, you would be fine. It's just about making sure you're, you know, more distant from people when you go out and do stuff. It's not actually like you need to go and buy enough food so that you don't need to leave for the next six weeks or whatever. Like mm -hmm. the supply chains are not. I mean, someone in chat said the supply chain are completely messed up right now, but I don't think they are. I mean, like I, I, I think people are just overbuying, if anything. That's the part. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There are some business might be actually doing really well because of this coronavirus. Like one of them is Zoom, you know, the the site where you used to or the software yeah. or whatever to use conference call. Uh, of course, like, you know, some of the delivery service might be doing yeah. well. I wonder Costco is it doing better or worse because like people might be scared to go buy stuff. But at the same time, they're so out a lot of things. I think Costco's and all of these sort of essential uh, things are doing better. So anyone that is a water provider, I think is going to be doing in general does that sort of stuff. You know, just because places are on lockdown doesn't mean like you literally can just Google supply chains for supermarkets. And then you're going to find all of these different things that are saying like, it's fine. It's just because people are buying three times as much stuff as they normally do that it's getting mm -hmm. harder to keep in stock. It's, but it doesn't it's mean that we are like it's gone right mm -hmm. it just feel like americans just like become really fat overnight and just decide to buy all the food that's how it feels like <laughs> yeah like here you go the denver post industry experts food supply chain strong but empty shelves wiped out by panic buying fan fears yeah I, i've seen people yeah. also try to return stuff too really and yeah like they because they overbought toilet paper like people was literally buying cases and cases of it and, right, and some people said that they that. saw online and then they were buying like thousands like in thousands so now they have like five thousands row of toilet paper right 
Like even New York you use- Times, there is plenty of food in the country. So I, I think the supply chains are fine. Uh, they are just not used to dealing with panic buying. Yep. I mean, it's, so. it's oh, like, I feel like for Asia and some other countries that, uh, oh, it's not our first time. We know, we know the drill, you know, <laughs> for America, it's like really much a first time heart heater where it's like, oh, we are getting panicked because, you know, people are dying and we don't know how to deal with it. And yeah, I think it's also just a fear of the unknown. I think a lot of people just don't realize that this isn't, it's scary and it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. It's not like the, um, it's not like it is going to be uh, zombies crawling around, killing everyone either. Like there's a lot <laughs> of things that are bad right now, but uh-huh. it's, it's not the literal end of the world. There's not a meteor coming to crash down. You can still go out and do things. You just need to be very distant with people. And if you're in a state that has been locked down, then you need to abide by whatever rules they are giving you. I'm, I like that one post I saw online where someone's like, I wish, for, like, I asked for zombie, not this kind of apocalypse. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. a little bit different. But the annoying thing is that it affects us in their entertainment industry a lot. Yeah, like, the entertainment industry has been almost wrecked by this in a lot of even, ways. Even my housemate, been, Kenson, he's stuck a little bit. Yeah, there's no work for him right now. Little, yeah, much slower at least. Like because obviously he does uh, special effects, but yeah. if there's no productions, there's nothing to special effect to. Yeah, so. I, it's interesting because we do a podcast and we do a show as well for Magic the Gathering, and we need to put mm. out a show. We just put out an episode today, actually, and we typically put out one episode every single month. But because uh-huh. we need to be social distancing, it's harder and harder for us to be in the office near each other. And that creates a lot of different problems as well in that realm. So, And then I know a lot of sets and a lot of people that are normally working day to day on sets are not working at all anymore. So it's, there's just a lot of stuff where anytime you need to be next to someone to do something, it gets a lot harder. How so often do you get play. together to play D&D though? To record it. D&D and Magic? Uh, we oh, sorry, do it, Magic. <laughs> we record it at least once a month. Um, and so we have a lot of episodes banked, but, you know, we're working with secure footage. We can't just, like, run around and, and be doing stuff off-site and all that stuff either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, the problem is that we also do not know when it's the end day, you know? We don't know, like, when it's like, oh, we're good now. We, we, are, we just have to hold off for two weeks, three weeks, or a specific time. Like, yeah, none of those. I, I don't think we can actually tell because the main problem is that we don't have good systems to go and find out who is sick. And other countries have shown that they are much more aggressive in testing and been a lot like better. Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Korea and China. And like China, you know, like I saw this excellent interview where the guy said China, they, you know, because of how the country is structured and how much information is shared, um, they're able to say, okay, this person is infected. Well, we know they went to these three places. So then we have to investigate everyone that was in those locations at those places and test every single person. And they'll go down and they'll search to the end of each thread and go and diligently do that for every single person and make sure that we've caught every instance of the virus that we can so it doesn't keep spreading. Um, that's something that it's not possible in America because we value our freedom too much to ever let ourselves get into a position where I think that much information is freely there was a hoax uh i'm not sure hoax of rumor or actually case that said some korean flight attendants was in k-town uh and then we had a small panic for a little bit but i think that was just a lie i mean i heard it online don't know if it's true but i fear that you know that would be a problem if this we really hard we really bad at asking people to do things when it comes to group efforts 
Like well, it's, it's good like, and bad, you know. America yeah. is the most individualistic country in the world. Telling mm-hmm. an American to do something is seems very contrary to the idea of what it means to be American. It's like I have my own free choice. I want to do what I want. I don't want to do what you want to tell me to do. Um, Especially when you tell someone not to. It's such an American thing. It's like you tell them not to do something, they're like, "Heck no! I'm gonna do that right now." <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I think it's going to be a lot harder, and it's going to last for a lot, lot longer in the United States because of the fact that we we don't have good testing yet. We don't have good stations set up in every state. And it's going to just keep spreading and spreading. And a lot of people are not going to report the cases either. So the numbers aren't going to be right ever. Uh, mm-hmm. We're never going to get an accurate number of how many people are total infected because a lot of people, their symptoms, they could just be like, I just had the cold, but they actually had coronavirus. And it may have killed someone else down the line, like five, six iterations down the line, but they'll never know that. Oh, no. And- um, especially I, I was listening to some professor talking about this and normal flu is about 1.4 to 1.5 transmit rates, you know, so like you're going to yeah. get another person and a half and, but this one is three times, but because of the, um, the incubation time period, it's like 14 days. Yeah. So then infecting a lot more people. you're going to get a lot of people. You're going to get someone, someone else's grandma and even your own, maybe even if they don't live by you, but because of chain of connections, like I wish yeah. this, I wish the virus more like something or like even this kind of situation is something very prominence and very obvious like attack bees you know or like zombie dogs at least i know how to avoid it how to be careful about it like me telling my friends to be like you know be careful be safe and i don't even know what that even mean anymore you know other than you know social distancing washing your hand wearing a mask but i just feel kind of helpless you know trying to help someone to like you know give them the advice and stuff like that I don't think it's really easy to give advice to people about this thing other than do some research, watch like these three videos or something and understand that you, you isolating yourself, it's not just about you. You're saving more than yourself. You're saving six people down the line that you mm-hmm. may not realize that you're going to end up killing or permanently damaging their, you know, their respiratory system because the virus hits them so hard. So yeah, it's just one of those things where I think you have to have um, a lot more state control or government control about this and mandates because otherwise it's really, really hard to get people to listen uh, in a country that, you know, prioritizes individual freedom so highly. Is this America? It's extremely American idea to be like, nah, no, I'll do what I want. But anyway, I mean, fortunately, <laughs> we have the internet and I think the internet's yes. done a lot of good and a lot of bad, but mostly a lot of good in terms of telling people and helping people learn more about stuff and hear from real experts and all that stuff. So like, that's great. That's awesome. I'm really glad that people have are able to watch this video that like, you know, 10 million other people can now see. And so everyone kind of has a shared knowledge of stuff. I just think whether or not it comes down to, you know, the millions and millions of people that never use the internet, never watch TV, except for certain news sources, um, they may be less informed and make a really poor decision as a result, or just continue to live life as normal, because upending your life for something that is a not visual threat is really hard. Mm. Yeah. Oh, is as you said, you know, the internet is good and bad. We we get spread as lots of good news or information very fast. If this is the fastest we can spread information, like as ever in human lifetime. But yeah. also we get lots of like bad informations or false informations or even um, you know, fear mongering kind of situation. And I'm sure like, you know, we like I, I've made a joke before, but it's getting pretty real too. It's like if coronavirus doesn't kill me, racism might. <laughs> and, like it's getting, it's getting. I mean, at least in LA, it's okay. I think. 
But LA I is one of the most integrated and diverse cities in the world. Uh, so in terms of racism, we do have it very easy here, as in there's not much racism that happens. Mm -hmm. um, but even in a city like New York is where you've seen the most cases of anti-Asian racist things happening. And mm -hmm. you would imagine that New York wouldn't be that way because it's so right? diverse it... as well, and it's a big city. But you know, I don't think it necessarily cross-applies to just a big city means that you're going to have less of that kind of fear. I think... I. I feel like if I drive inland, maybe two or three stay in, then I might run into a problem. You could even drive two or three hours in and run into problems. <laughs> it's a it, California gets extremely um, moderate and into uh, more right wing areas. Like if you even go, oh yeah, an hour inwards to the Inland Empire, it's it's huge. I mean, they're yeah. are very different uh, politically wise than the rest of this, this the country or the state. Yeah, California is huge. Like I, when I went to school in UC Davis, uh, and I'm I was very close by Sacramento, so it's definitely very different. Uh, few hours you drive in, but mm -hmm. there is like I did a road trip once, right? I drive a few hours inland, uh, and they gave me that look. Um, have you seen Inception the movie? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like that one scene when she, he was, you know, uh, Leonardo uh, was explaining like, oh, how all the they're like white bus cell attacking like a bacteria where they're all looking mm -hmm. at you. And that's kind of how it was like when I drive inland, like not during this time, but back then, it, I mean, it's not hostile, but they gave me that look. It's like, this guy doesn't belong here, you know? So, yeah. but now- There's certainly a new level of distrust. Yeah, America. now it could I be worse. looking for someone to blame because uh, it's easier to blame someone than to mm -hmm. recognize the harder idea of that a virus has no nationality, has no, doesn't care what race you are, it will affect everyone and make everyone sick regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it's hard for people, I think, to grapple that idea and grasp what that means. So as a result, you just get sort of first instinct, blame someone, just easier. Mm. Yeah. You also recently just made that video, right? Uh... I did. I did, Tell me about I did a whole video about the Chinese virus because of all of the new racist incidents that have been popping up around the country. I thought it was important for people to get that message, which is what's happening from the top government level all the way down to what's happening in the individual isolated incidents of racism is the scapegoating of Asians, mm -hmm. which means a scapegoat is an old term that comes from a Bible, which was a literal goat that was burdened with all of the sins and wrongdoings of someone. And then you put it all onto this literal goat and then you would send the goat away and then banish the goat. And that was absolving you of those things. Did people practice that? <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it definitely was something that happened, I guess, in that story in the Bible. But since then, it's been a classic and very regularly used tactic against pretty much anytime someone needs someone to blame and they don't want to shoulder the responsibility or hate themselves or say that, hey, maybe I'm at fault, it's just so much easier to point at someone else and say it's their fault. So, um, you know, the problem is that, yes, we know where the virus originated from and sure, maybe the government did not handle it correctly, but that doesn't mean that a Korean or a, even a Chinese person in America or in another country that has literally nothing to do with the higher... It's like some, me going to China and someone getting mad at me because of what Trump did, right? It's like, mm. I have no connection to that man. He is a, the president of the United States, but that doesn't mean that I have any control over his actions or anything that he does. 
And so mm -hmm. you're basically just taking someone's race now uh, and using that as the scapegoat and say, they're the reason why. So let's get angry at them. Let's scream at them. Let's punch them. There's a guy that stabbed a guy and his child in Texas. I saw that. Club. Like the violence levels are increasing, increasing. And so there's just all these different things that need to stop because when you give someone an easy target, especially if you're doing so from the podium of the president's from the White House to the entire country, then you're giving them an and you're giving them an easy way to become more like this and feel like that it's the right thing to do, that they're justified in yelling at that person or assaulting them or doing whatever it is. Well, they want to be helping like a cause, you know, like someone to be like, yeah, I am doing my part, especially being American, you know, fighting yeah, I the virus together. Really, I think everyone's just afraid and the way that they deal with it is just pointing at someone else and being like, that's the reason why I'm afraid. It's I don't want to embrace the fact that maybe I'm being manipulated by the media or manipulated by the president to start else or that my pre-existing bias against Asian people is finally showing now that I have a convenient place to be racist against. Them. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we, I mean, we had that also during the election, even before this whole virus going on. Uh, we have a lot of neo-Nazi movements again, which is yeah. I mean, there has been a distinct rise in uh, hate U.S. ever since Trump took office, and whether or not that is something that you want to tie and correlate to each other, that's completely up to you. It's just weird, you know. We had this whole thing about American is anti-Nazi, like that's a whole what World War II was about, and mm -hmm. now it's like, yeah, let's bring that back. It's like, no, 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 that's not what being American is about. It's complete opposite. Yeah, I mean, uh -huh. I don't think Captain America would stand for any of this. And that guy's as American as it gets. He's always fighting Nazi in the first movie, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but this is the first time you made a music, uh, a song, a music stuff uh, about racism, too. Like, that's actually, I think, I think I might have actually watched your first video before I met you, too. I think a lot of people don't even realize that, that that I was the person that made that video back then because it's now been, what, nine years since that nine, started? Years. Yeah. yeah. But it, and like I say this in the newest video, which is like, I made this video nine years ago and I was like, you know what? What? I thought that was the worst it was ever going to get was a, soror a privileged white sorority girl um, being angry about Asians in the library and imitating them and saying Ching Chong. I thought that was it. I was like, that's, that's, that's so good. horrendous. That's so mm -hmm. awful. <laughs> We've never really seen like outright violence against Asians in this country. Like this seems like this is the worst it's going to get. And and looking at it, the current news today, it's like I was so, so very wrong. Unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, because now we have cases of Asians actually being assaulted in the streets and being beaten and being screamed at and being their hair pulled and being spit at and, and like all sorts of things. And I have friends now that are afraid to go out by themselves. They need to have a buddy system when they go out. I don't want my parents... And that's the thing that really affects me is I have family. Mm. I have a, my cousin just had a baby. Like I don't want these people to have to go out in public and be afraid to engage in the society and the world that they live in and the country that they've been paying taxes for for years and decades to feel afraid of the people around them because they don't have, you know, the the intellectual capacity to understand <laughs> they are not the reason why people are getting sick and the world is being affected by a virus. And we're, and especially now, I mean, more and more generation of Americans have happened already. And a lot of Americans, a lot of Asian Americans are, I wouldn't say more American, but they're definitely is part of the American culture more so than maybe whatever their uh, races um, that have associated ethnicity culture wise back then. 
like, you know, for example, a lot of Chinese American here know a lot about American history, American culture, than they would about Asian culture. Yeah, I mean, know? these are people that are like first, second, third generation people that have lived in America for a while. But like, I think like, we can't forget that there was also the Asian Exclusion Act, mm -hmm. uh, which was basically saying no Asians can enter the country. From It's the Immigration Act of 1924. And it basically effectively banned all immigration from Asia. And this happened for a while. And then people tend to forget that we also put thousands and thousands of Japanese people, innocent Japanese people into internment camps during oh, the yeah. war because they were so afraid. So like, it hasn't been the first time that we've seen a lot of racism against Asian people. Like, I even think you could tie the supposed allergy to MSG to an anti-Asian sentiment as well as seeing the food as dirty or not clean or whatever it is. And you can see that is almost exactly the same sentiment that people have today based on what uh, was the p potential cause of how this virus originated in Wuhan. Like, people still have this idea of people of Asians of that they are dirtier or that they're unclean or filthy and all this stuff and that pervades all the way to now and that started all the all the way back in the early 1900s and it still exists and mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people that are historians people that specifically are really battling on the fronts of Asians and have been studying this stuff for a long time their their take on it is that it's not like this racism didn't exist it just didn't a opening or an outlet to be released and in the case of the sorority girl that was really racist back when I first made my first song, that was an outlet for her to release that tension, which was international students, I'm presuming, at a college and someone being angry that they're loud in the library because they don't have the same etiquette standards. And so that was for an outlet for them to get angry at Asians. And now this is a completely different outlet, which is Asians are, quote, unquote, getting us sick. So. Mm -hmm that's where we're at now it's not like the racism necessarily was had gone down it just was waiting for it just shifted to, open to the door. another blame yeah just waiting waiting for another opportunity to show itself and it's very clear that there are a lot of times that it's going to continue to show itself this isn't going to be the last time either it's it's going to pop up again in the future guaranteed and i don't know how it's going to look when it does but when it does i don't think i'm necessarily going to be surprised it's always strange too for me when people are blaming me for something that doesn't even related to me whatsoever like some of them is even more more remote like um people who confuse me as japanese and then mm. they'll try to tie me to some japanese culture sometimes good sometimes bad sometimes horrible like they would you know of course correlate or like bring up world two you know pearl harbor all the stuff and i'm like we're not even like that doesn't make any sense at all for many reasons and also i'm chinese if anything i'm on the ally side not on access so it's like like, well, I mean, that's that's the thing is that even presuming that people have the ability to differentiate between the two, mm -hmm. I, I mean, mean, like, yeah, I I have I am someone that has studied Asian culture and knows a lot about Asian society, and I have a lot of trouble telling if I look at someone knowing where they're from. Mm -hmm. So I can see that, like, even though I am someone that grew up in the culture and have spent a lot of time studying it, I'm it's hard for me to even differentiate. I can't expect someone else that doesn't give a damn about Asian culture to like look at someone being like, no, 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 please don't make sure you refer to them by the correct race and to not, you know, like there's no way that that's no. even something that they- They always about. do the guessing game with me though. Like they, I went to a few parties, uh, that's majority of though, uh, white audience. Um, but they all, they, at the end of the night, they all come to me one by like different time. They're just like, oh, so um, where are you from? <laughs> Yeah, what, what, who, where are you from? And then you're like, uh, I'm from Seattle, Washington. And then comes the kind of 
messed up question. No, where are you really from? She's <laughs> like, what do you mean? Where am I really from? Where are you really from? Do you want me? Do you do I? She, she, are you going to tell me your European roots or whatever it is? It's like it's this interesting thing where you can't just be an American if you're not white necessarily. Do you, how long do you think it's going to take for us to get past that? Uh, it may never happen. <laughs> oh, that sucks. I like, mean, like Asian society is not one that America is such a unique country in the world that, and we're such a diverse mixing pot of races in a way that no other country in the world has even come close to. I think that I don't think that we're going to necessarily have a, uh, uh, we're going to get to the point where we're like the most woke country in the world because I mean, just based on who we voted into office, there's still a lot of anger and there's a lot of hate left in this world and a lot of people looking to yell and blame someone on, about something. Like I see a lot of sci-fi movies or movies like, you know, in the distant future, they, they love using like Chinese, Japanese characters in the movies or TVs, but we don't see Chinese or Asian in those movies. They just have those as a sign of people. Like they love the Hong Kong style, you know, or the glowing neon sign with Chinese characters. But you don't see a lot of Asian in those shows or TVs or movies. Yeah, I think my favorite example is just like literally Star Wars. It's like, hey, mm. you are in a massive future society where you're doing all sorts of crazy cool things and there's not a single Asian person here. Like, how is that even possible? There's more alien no than Asian. <laughs> you look outside in the world right now and you, like 30 to 50% of the cars are from Asia or like, mm -hmm. you know, Hyundai, Toyota, Honda. Like those are... Cars like, and now you're in the future with spaceships, and you're telling me that not a single one of those spaceships is Asian. Like, there's no way. And so that's yeah. my point. <laughs> it's like, or you go to like, um, like, uh, Blade Runner 2049, it's like 2049, mm -hmm. Los Angeles, Los Angeles. You look around outside right now; it is such a diverse mix. But you look in the movie like that. There's like, where the heck is the diversity? Mm -hmm. Like in Star yeah, Wars, Asians you get excluded from sci-fi and stuff all the time. You literally have more aliens than Asian in Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, both so. different race and characters but yeah. yeah i don't know i mean it's it's just one of those things it's going to change i think in terms of representation and i think a lot of asian americans or filmmakers are going to start rising and showing that they have stories to tell alan mm -hmm. yang is coming out with tiger tail lulu wang had the farewell crazy rich asians also show the different side of asian culture that a lot of people didn't know or understand about before so like there is a beginning of a cultural understanding and like recognition and awareness of what this is, but it's not going to, I think, change really quickly. It's going to still be something that's going to take, I think, even the course of a decade to have people really start to understand and have it become more normal in their lives. Do you think Crazy Rich Asian has made any impact in this whole, I guess, our movie culture or Hollywood, like stuff like that? It made a big impact in that it made money. I, I think Crazy Rich Asians, to me, it's kind of like the um, the My Big Fat Greek Wedding of Asian movies. Mm. In terms of it, it was, it's kind of like a rom-com. It has elements of deep elements of a culture that people aren't really familiar with. And as a result, I think it just was a big hit because it was a very digestible movie by a lot of people and it followed a good formula and was directed really well and had good acting and stuff in it with some you know well-known faces and some up-and-comers that are great mm -hmm. and a very hot Henry Golding. So like as a result, you have a great combination <laughs> for a movie that just happens to make a lot of money. And that's really the only thing that matters to Hollywood deep, deep down. Like Yes. All of the filmmakers and all the individual creators really have their vision and really want to tell big stories. But at the end of the day, 
if you're looking at a lot of these big companies, profits and making money is one of the number one priorities that they have. That's not to say that the people doing it, like the Bob Igers or the Kathleen Kennedys, don't want to also create um, a message with that. It's who would pay for it. Yeah. If they make a movie and it doesn't make money, that career <laughs> for that person is over. So like yep. the money still matters. And it's the, that's just how capitalism works. That's oh, yeah. It's like a big part of why the system is the way it is and why, you know, we don't see movies that we don't see indie movies all the time on the big screen because they're not going to have mass appeal and make a lot of money. I mean, that's why I always say, you know, we are in capitalistic America. So every dollar is a vote. Uh, yes, you we, vote with your, with your wallet in America, for sure. That's good and bad about it, um, you know, but we're getting, I think we're getting better, especially, so I am a uh, first generation immigrant, I guess, considered second uh, generation American. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. is, is that the right word? Well, where, where were you born? No, I was born in Hong Kong, born and raised. Okay, so technically, you, there there's two ways of doing it. I was the first of my generation born in the US, and so I sometimes call myself first generation. Other people call me second generation because my parents who moved here were the first generation. So you technically, you get to pick your choice. So, are you first generation or are you X zero generation? So I think I would be first generation immigrant, uh, but because I'm more of a 1.5 generation immigrant, which, you know, mm -hmm. that's a whole different thing, kind of. Yeah. Uh, well, you moved here when you were younger, right? Yeah, so you, in my teens years. So I still retain yeah. my culture. Uh, and yeah, and you can speak Cantonese mm -hmm. fluently. Fluently, I can read and write. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, you, okay. So the fact that you can read and write, I think, gives you much yeah. more credence to being an OG, actual like one, mm -hmm. one, one X generation. And that's the difference between me and Kenson is that he's is he's born and raised in Seattle, uh, but he can speak very fluent Cantonese. But it's very strange mm -hmm. because. I, he speaks so fluent, I forget that he doesn't uh, read and write in Chinese. So I would yeah. look at a sign and say, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's whatever. So I, I just look at it, say, like, why you keep asking me, look at it. And then like, oh wait, he can't read it. But do you I'm, think he, um, is it because his parents spoke to a lot, to him a lot growing up? It's both. Like, uh, I mean, a lot of Asians, American, they are, uh, they, they get spoke to Chinese a lot when they're younger, but mm -hmm. it's also if he's passionate about it, right? Because a lot of, I, right. I mean, it's in he our generation, off. we get picked on for being Asian growing up. It's not a good thing. Being Asian was not cool. It was never cool uh, in oh, school. It definitely wasn't for me. Yeah. I mean, I was not a cool person. Oh, yeah. For me, it was <laughs> so not cool to be Asian. I was definitely the nerd and the video game playing nerd. That was that was like the thing that always overshadowed who I was, I think, or mm -hmm. how I felt. I was just nerdy, geeky, had glasses, had braces, filled the stereotype often you know and mm -hmm. brought a lunch to school that people would say smells gross and laugh at me at so i stopped you know doing that sort of thing so yeah so like he is so but he is it's about the passion right so a lot of asian american i feel like they reject their identity as asian um and i, I think i forgot who wrote a book about it too but it's very interesting how a lot of them had to feel like that and that's why when they grow up they're like oh i feel like i'm missing that part of it now that asian is back to i want to say cool but at least cooler than it was you know it's not really us hated it's still hated by a lot of people but it's not definitely cooler it's cooler now, definitely sure. yeah i mean k-pop k-pop helps a lot handedly has made it cooler to be asian like yep. without a doubt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah definitely so that helps a bit uh but i feel like it's interesting because i i my 1.5 gener generation immigrants really coming in now is that when I read something, when I go to like, you know, when we go get food, like a Hong Kong restaurant, mm -hmm. I will read sign both in English and Chinese, but I don't read the word. Like I do, I do read it in my head, but it instantly converted into idea. So let's say I if see. I, 
Like, let's say if you look at a, a square shape or a circle shape or rectangular, your head will see circle, square. Like, you know that. But you didn't read the word circle. You mm -hmm. see the circle shape. But you get the idea. It's a circle. If someone asks you, it's like, what is It's a circle. And that's how it is for me reading Chinese and English now. It's like, yeah, I know the idea. I didn't re recognize that I was reading it, but I did. So right. it's interesting when I read both, it has become straight up concept into my head. Um, so interesting. With, yeah, so that's it's very interesting now because my English and Chinese are as fluent. If anything, my English starting to tip over my Chinese a little bit because mm -hmm. writing in Chinese is getting a little bit tricky now. Uh, Chinese is <laughs> well, so you hard. It's the sort of thing where if you don't do it every day, you're just mm -hmm. going to get worse at it. If you don't so. use it, you lose it. Uh, but I still talk to my parents in Cantonese. And the good thing is that I use uh, text-to-speech. So I talk to them on WhatsApp, and I can oh, still okay. use my phone. And I would say yeah. to my phone, I can see the word that comes out. Uh, so I know exactly what it is. Uh, so that's, that's pretty yeah. good. I mean, I'm very grateful that I've been able to speak more Chinese recently because uh, my parents always spoke it to me growing up, but just... Mm -hmm not caring as much as a kid and wanting to just be fit to fit in more like that was the bigger that's uh, the thing, thing. yeah yeah that was much more important for me to fit in um so that was like that's why i stopped speaking as much but now that i've grown up a lot more it's something that i've actually wanted to do more and more and more and like that's been really good for me and i'm glad to have that opportunity to learn more and um, it and tied like really the history. A part of the yeah. I mean, this is a part of my culture and part of me growing up was speaking Chinese. It's what it was technically the first language I learned. It was so many different things. It's the food I ate. It's the way that we describe things. And the way that the, the language works is that when you speak in English, you say things differently in a different mm. order than if you speak in another language. And it's different oh, yeah. for every language. And so that's going to always change the way that you even view the world. Because mm -hmm. in Chinese, for instance, there is no uh, past tense. You just add a word yeah. at the end mm -hmm. to imply past tense. So that's going to affect the world a little bit too. So there's mm -hmm. lots of different things that like I don't even really think about, but do have a big impact on what uh, like you know, how I how I feel the world. How I say this sometimes that because in Chinese we have, and that's why I mess up sometimes in English. I explain to people why I mess it up. Past tense is one of them. We don't have tenses. We don't have mm -hmm. uh, pluralization, so you cannot pluralize something. Because Chinese character is not English. You can't add a letter S to things right. to make it more than one. Uh, we also, uh, he, she, and it, we, we mess up a lot. Because in Chinese, mm -hmm. it's just ta. So right. regardless how you, yeah, no. that's it. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that's yeah, why totally. I, I haven't seen enough Chinese movie recently, but I started, I should start paying attention. Like, of course, I don't watch horror movie as well. But if I do, I wonder if they can say like, it is coming or she is coming or he is coming like the mm -hmm. the pronoun game i wonder that would be easier in chinese because now it could be ta could be anything right <laughs> you just you can yeah. just say ta lila and that would ta -lila, exactly all three of those translations mm -hmm. yeah. then you're like what is it like what's coming and then you realize it's not a human it's a, it's a monster you know like yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah that that's the thing but with um with all this going on then like do you think Mulan's gonna do another push as well to make like cooler to be Asians or stuff like that? Or you wish you would be at least? The way I see Mulan is I think Mulan is like the Black Panther. It's not a one for one, right? It's mm -hmm. but I think there is a lot of similarities in terms of Mulan's place in the world and and um movies like Black Panther's place in the world as well. I, and someone on the red carpet asked me, like, how excited are you? And and he was a black guy, and I said, like, how excited were you when Black Panther came out? Did you ever think something <laughs> like that was ever gonna happen? And he looked at me and went, No. I'm like, Yeah, me neither. I didn't think something like this representation on this level was ever gonna happen 
for Asians. And that's just because growing up, we all I knew about in terms of Asian movies in America was Jackie Chan and Jet Li. And my <laughs> uncle is a martial arts director, Corey Yuen. So he did a lot of the Jet Li movies. And so that was my interpretation of what Asians wa were in terms of cinema in the world. And that was what made me go like, okay, so that's kind of the norm. And then after a while, those movies died out. And so I think Mulan has a very specific place in society and in the world uh, <clears> in terms of entertainment and what it's going to do. And I think if anything, it's just going to prove to more people that invest in movies, more people that want to make movies and young filmmakers growing up that there is a place for this kind of story and not talking about specifically like martial arts and historical epic war movies, but just that stories about Asian culture and Asian things, there is a market for it. And that's also interesting and that there is something that to be learned and that, that it's something that people can enjoy and should enjoy. I think like the, all those things are going to be a big impact once people get to see the movie. And I'm, I'm still presuming that this movie is going to do well because it has, I think, all the elements that it needs to be a great movie. I went to, um, I mean, of course, you know, you did the red carpets and everything, and I'm yes. sure the feeling is amazing. Uh, of course, you know, I, I haven't experienced something at that scale, but mm -hmm. uh, this past Christmas, you know, we, we all went to the same um, Christmas party and like you were there too. So it, it was such an interesting feeling because growing up in America as Asian, it was not cool. Like I have to, I feel like I'm f always fighting to stand out or at least to making sure that I, I want to be belong, but also not, but also you know, being true to myself, you know, being Asian and all. Right. But seeing it was at the Wong Fu party and seeing everyone there, lots of them are, you know, majority of them are Asian. It was so strange. It was an amazing feeling. Like <laughs> just at a party too, right? Just at a party that is not like a, you know, a, like an Asian American party, but everyone's are doing amazing things on their own. But yeah, also yeah, like, yeah. it's just so strange because almost, you know, every time you go to any entertainment related parties are majority, you know, white, you know, maybe black, but never Asian. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been in LA for nine years now. So it's been a really interesting thing to see the progression of because I remember when I first came here uh, and we started making YouTube videos, it was Freddie was one of the big Asian creators, Ryan Higa, um, Kev Jumba. Mm -hmm. We went to the same college together, Kev and I. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, I nice. think we were actually in the same dorm as well, but uh, he's oh, just- Oh, that's hilarious. I, I see him sometimes in the DC and stuff. Uh, but I remember when that happened, I was like, this is it. This is the future of Asians. <laughs> they're making content on YouTube. Look how popular mm -hmm. they are. They're taking over. This is the beginning. And in a lot, I think that was the beginning. Oh my gosh. Look at those gifted subs by Jess. Holy moly. Hello, Jess. Oh. Thanks for the sub. <laughs> I love Jess. Thank you so much. She's great. Uh, I actually saw a lot of, I mean, that's how we met in the beginning too. It's you, me, and Jess. And I keep seeing you every time I see Jess for a while. Like yeah. all the events, League of Legends stuff, and just yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But like again, I remember seeing all those agents make do all this stuff, and I was like, "This is it. This is the beginning. It's going to change so quickly." Mm -hmm. Love you too, yep. Jess. Um, but it didn't change that. Quickly. That was ten years ago, more than ten yeah, years that was ago. Ten years ago, I was like, you know, and that's part of my naivete. I think is just like I thought. Once you see something like that happen, you're like, "This is it. That things mm -hmm. have changed. I'm I'm here at the perfect time." But you know, I tell a lot of people that I came into Los Angeles to act uh, in 2011, and it took eight years or seven years for me to finally be cast in a role that I thought ex should have existed when I first came here, which was Mulan. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, I think if you look through history, that might actually turn out to be a faster timeline than people expected. 
um, which is great. Um, but you know, for me as a struggling actor, it was something that I was endlessly frustrated by. But when it finally came around and everything sort of turned into this awesome thing and Crazy Rich Asians came out followed by The Farewell and, and more and more movies like this and Fresh and, and fresh Off the Boat and all these other things <laughs> started happening, it felt kind of like a snowball rolling down a hill. And I part of me is fearful that the current anti-Asian sentiment that is rearing its ugly head is mm -hmm. something that is going to stand in the way of that. Um, and I really hope it doesn't because I don't think, um, you know, I think America is the ideals that this country strives to can be bigger and stronger than that. But at the same time, I also didn't realize that there was still so much anti-Asian sentiment kind of still running around. Yeah, like... What we have learned so far is that changes doesn't happen overnight. You know, how we're like, oh yeah, we're Asian YouTuber. It's now is the time. Ten years later, okay. And then now we it's still kind of the time. Yeah. And then we're like, <laughs> Crazy Rich Asian came out. Yeah, now we're gonna be always on the red carpets or at least you no know, be in the spotlight. So eh, okay, getting there. So it is a slow <laughs> progression, but hopefully, as you said, you know, the snowboard effect, maybe it'll keep snowballing, maybe. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just whether or not it makes money. Um, and mm -hmm. I think, especially as we come out of when we come out, I don't even know when it's going to happen of this isolation time and this quarantine time, it's going to be really important for a lot of companies to be able to get back on their feet. And it's the perfect time for a movie like Mulan or like, I mean, an animated movie called Wish Dragon. That's also a story that's completely Chinese. It's the perfect time for that kind of thing to show that, yes, these are the kind of stories that can succeed um, and are going to succeed. And, and I think it's gonna be a really important time for all of these types of films and Tiger Tail as well, Alan Yang's project to make a big splash, because if they don't do it as we come out of one of the biggest financial deficits slash recessions that we're probably going to go into as as a country, mm -hmm. then it's not going to be good for the yeah the culture mm -hmm. the, i mean it's not gonna be good for the progression of what we're trying yeah to, what i'm hoping is gonna happen so i've got my fingers crossed but it's one of those things that's extremely hard to predict but it's true nothing changes overnight and it took 10 years for us to get to the point that we are now and i'm i'm just hoping to, for with all my heart that it keeps going in that direction um so so for you know a lot of us uh asian american i think it's because we finally want to have an identity and to wake up from it. Uh, there's a huge difference between Asian American and I feel like Chinese, like Asian Chinese, like Chinese in China. Um, like for example, we know movies like um, Transformers or even a bunch of video games movie do really well in China, but not so yeah. much movie about Asian American because it's not exactly relatable to them as well. I also think there's a lot that to unpack in this question. Um, so let's do a little bit of research. So there's an off, off, awesome website called boxofficemojo.com. And mm -hmm. what this does is it will track uh, domestic, international, worldwide movies. Um, and you can like go down and look up. All right, let's see in China. Let's, let's look up the, let's see how to do this. So Box Office Mojo will just tell you how a movie's doing in different countries and all that stuff. And so you can look up, let's just look up one of the Transformers movies. For, I believe, five years or five Transformers in a row, the Transformers movies were the biggest uh, openings in China. Um, 
let's see here. The first Transformers movie earned 37 million back in 2007. So that is something that's not, it wasn't a huge number, but it was something that was still really big at the time. Mm-hmm. So let's see if I can find this again here. Uh, and then, like, if you look at the next Transformers movies, every single time, if you can look up, actually, how do I look this up? Sorry, just take me a second. I, here. I have it on my screen too. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, box Office Mojo, yearly uh, international top box office. Let's see what this does. Is. Domestic yearly boxes, 2020 worldwide box office. Okay, here we go. So, you can go, let's all go down to 2010. See what happened back then. So the number one movie in 2010 was Toy Story 3. Let's see how much that made in China. So this is fun for me to do. I love like looking through this sort of thing and see. Um, this movie may not have been released in China. Interesting. <laughs> 2011 Transformers Dark of the Moon. Uh, it made 1 billion worldwide. And in China, it made 165 million. So one-tenth of that. Uh, and then if you look at the 2019 worldwide box office, let's see where Wolf Warrior ranks. But actually, that might be 2018. So in 2011, they were making 160 as the top, Damn. and which is pretty good, obviously. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like a lot of money. And then let's look up Wolf Warrior box office, Mojo, China. Wolf Warrior 2 uh, single-handedly made... Let's see. In China, it made eight hundred fifty-four. Million. Yeah, eight hundred fifty-four million. So that's eight times the amount of money. <laughs> um, and China's film culture is very, very, very different because it's just not that sophisticated. Isn't the right word, right? It is not as uh, it hasn't had as much time to enjoy and create movies as America's entertainment Hollywood culture has. So America has been making movies since the silent film era in the black and white era um, for a hundred years. And other countries have been doing it for much, much longer or not Mm -hmm. much longer for about that same time. And China didn't really start making movie movies until the, I'd say like the 60s, 70s, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, in like seriously, like really taking it seriously. So they just haven't had as much time to uh, like, I think grow the film culture over there. Mm-hmm. I think as a result, the big box office movies that do, did really well in the beginning were the ones with all the CG spectacle because ever seen that before is something that you're not used flashy, to. It's flashy. You know? It wasn't making. Yeah, it's flashy. It's really cool. It's awesome. Like obviously you're all going to go to watch it because it's what the filmmaker intended, which is a spectacle. Something you go into and your eyes go wide open. You're like, wow, look at all those cool things. And you don't have to effects. understand the language or the culture it's just like oh cool special effects that's easy to understand you know digestible yeah, exactly and so i think those are that's the reason why you know for like five six years in a row it was the transformers movies were the ones that did the best every single year mm-hmm. um year to year or it was some sort of big box office because thing. it's understandable and, you know what you're going in expecting it you know you know what yeah. you want to watch and so now if you go and look at like wolf warrior 2 that movie was number one in china the box office that year i believe um, and that was a huge deal because this movie wasn't necessarily a giant, um, it wasn't an American movie for one. And it wasn't like a huge movie that was all about VFX and visual effects and all that stuff. It was a more of a nationalistic sort of like, uh, war type movie with some cool action and explosions and some stuff, but it wasn't anywhere near as crazy in terms of VFX as the movie like Transformers was. Mm-hmm. So 
how it worked basically mm, and mm, why mm. i kind of like certain things more than others yeah well that, and that's why i'm saying like crazy rich asian i don't think it did well in um in in china right i don't remember i haven't checked Crazy Rich Asians did not do well in China. The reason that those movies don't do well in China is because I don't think Chinese people are necessarily interested in watching an American go to China and experience China through the eyes of an American. That is not inherently interesting, I don't think. To it's also not a path that most Asians have done. Like most Chinese people do not have to go to see a, like, you know, they don't have to go to see a movie about an American Asian going to China because they already live in China or Asia, you know, yeah. in general. Yeah, they only yeah. made, what, a million? Yeah. yeah, it didn't do very well. Um, like, I think it barely crossed a million. And again, it's it's like being in America and someone in China is like, we're going to release a movie for America. It's about a Chinese person that goes to America and experiences part of the American culture and comes back. It's like, as an American, that does not interest me nearly as much as a movie like Crazy Rich Asians, for instance, or a movie that is more a spectacle. Um, so I think, like, I don't think the filmmakers were necessarily looking for it to be a success in a country like that. And mm -hmm. maybe the producers were, but they would been they were sorely mistaken if they thought that they were gonna have a bigger impact out over there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So in a, so in America to make it work, do you think we need more Asian like because as you said, right, money is where we're voting and how we decided what's gonna make more in Hollywood. Do we still need to make more movie for China or are we okay to start making movie for American audience or like how do we strive have it? started making movies for American audiences. That's what we've been doing for a while. Um, like Fresh Off the Boat is not a show that was made with China in mind. It was a mm -hmm. show that was made for American TV. Um, mm -hmm. Crazy Rich Asians was not something that was made with China in mind. Um, I would say that there needs to probably just be a balance between the two because I don't blame any of the major film companies or any of the major sort of entertainment companies wanting to say like, hey, um, we when we make a movie and it costs $100 million, we need that movie to make $200 million in the US. And if you're a producer and you hear that the movie just made $800 million in China, how is that not going to make you go, okay, how do we also tap into that market? Because clearly that is a huge part <laughs> of how we're going to make this profitable and make, you know, so I can do another movie next year or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's like a big, big part of that. It's like, wow, this movie made 500 million over there that year. And we, we just wanted to make a hundred here. Like how can we actually copy that? And so I think there needs to be a balance because you're not going to be able to stop a lot of those people, a lot of those companies on the higher level from saying, Hey, we should make a movie and try to tailor it more towards the Chinese audience or make it so that it can perform well in both markets. But trying to find that balance, I think, is really, really tricky. I think it's something that we're going to keep doing no matter what because money is incredibly... Uh, it's hard for people not to go out searching for it. and Because money can hard. do many things, yeah. Yeah, money can do lots of things. So it's definitely something, a trend that we're going to keep seeing happening. Um, but you're also going to see a lot of missteps along the way. You're going to see movies like The Great Wall get released where no one's happy with it. And it doesn't <laughs> perform well in either market. But that was a movie that was clearly made with China in mind. <laughs> Uh, that was so a strange movie. I watched it. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I'm not exactly sure like how I feel about it because like it's mm, like they tried to use <laughs> to watch that movie. That movie was it, it just looked awful from the get go, and it looked like it was pandering. And Chinese audiences they mm -hmm. may be less you know cultured in terms of having a long film history, but that doesn't mean they're stupid. Yeah, and like I'm sure that I, I believe there was a lot of sentiment over there being like, why are they doing this like this? This 
is just pandering to us. It's, it's not also actually making weird, something for us. It's also weird when they try to put it, it, a lot of things having highlights about Chinese culture is an American perspective, you know? Like how, for example, American love ordering Kung Pao chicken, but that's not what everybody eat in China. But right. that's how it feels like, oh yeah, now we included an Asian actor in there. Like we have a wall, a great wall, then automatically yeah, is, Chinese gonna love it, Kung right? Kung Pao chicken, yeah. Like it's like it's like going over to China and being like, hey, we're gonna make a movie for you guys, but it's gonna be not properly researched. And we also have for some reason had to include a white guy in it as the savior, you know, like because we wanted to appeal to the Western audiences and we need someone to sell the movie. So there's just so many different things that it'll be like having a Panda Express in China. I don't think that would work yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, like, that's not to say that Western food doesn't do well there, like, but it's just you have to make it's very hard to strike that balance to find something that appeals to the Chinese audience and simultaneously appeals to the American audience. And maybe we will learn over time that it's actually impossible to do exactly that. Then it's better just to focus on the market that you know it's going to do well in and hope that it translates overseas. Because you can argue that like doing that does lose a lot of the artistic the artistic drive and the artistic integrity that a lot of directors and filmmakers want to have when they make a project like this. No one wants to walk into something and be like, Hey, we want to hire you to make this movie, but you have to do it so that Chinese audiences will like it. And mm -hmm. you have to include X, Y, and Z use this person and this person and this person. Like, I don't think many filmmakers would be super happy to do that. Um, so you want to, I think like mm -hmm. the ideal is finding a way to balance it. And so that we don't have these situations occur like this in the future. I think it's kind of like us as a content creators, right? Like, there, I, I'm sure, you know, for you and even your brother, right, with Jimmy, uh, sorry, uh, with Freddie, like, you guys, there's stuff that I'm sure you want to make, but there gotta be stuff that, like, you know, it would do so much better with, like, the online audience where they would love to watch it. They're like, oh, this is gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, they, yeah. they would definitely watch that. That would go viral more than whatever you wanted to showcase. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess, like, we have just, it's the same thing, right? Striking a balance between, you know, keeping some of the stuff that you like, some of the stuff the audience wants and back and forth. Yeah. And like, it's like, I think anytime a movie gets made, people forget like when I was doing Mulan and I walked into the production room, sort of like the room that they call it like the battle room. It's like the room that has all the pictures on the walls, all the little models and all the stuff that they've created. I was walking into three years of research, three years <laughs> of incredibly talented people going all around the world, consulting with all sorts of different people. They had Bill Kong, who produced Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as a legendary Chinese producer, as someone that was constantly all back and stuff. So they had so many different sources and so much information and so much research poured into this project because it was really important to them that they did it right. And mm -hmm. that is like not something that every single movie can do. You can't expect that level of dedication to authenticity and recreation and story like that in, to that degree. So it's something that like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is maybe this is the way to do it correctly. Maybe this is the right way to approach this, which is with respect to the original source material, with respect to the culture, and most importantly, with the emphasis on making sure that you're telling something that isn't going to come off as pandering, and mm -hmm. also is going to resonate as true for audiences and just humans worldwide. And I think that's why the movie of Mulan works really well is because at its core, it's just about the relationship between a daughter and her father or a child and their parent. Mm -hmm. um, and what it means to bring honor to your family. You know, it's something that I think is a universal concept that can be applied to every single person in some shape or form, or, you mm -hmm. know, going out there and proving that you are more than what your face says you are more than what your gender determines you are. Like 
these are superhuman elements that are, I think, great to apply mm. to a movie because it means that a lot of people can connect to it regardless of what color face they see on the screen. Did you get a feeling, because people on set when they're saying they're doing Creation Rich Asian or uh, the uh, Black Panther, like they say they, because when you're on set, everyone, majority of them, I'm guessing, were Asian, right? On Mulan. So did you have that feeling like, oh, wow, we're making a Hollywood movie with Asian cast? Like, yeah, there were a couple of times when I was like, holy crap, look at all of us. Every single person on set right now in front of this camera all is looks like me, has my culture. Uh, I can turn and speak to them in Chinese and they can respond to me or I can like we can joke about the same things growing up. We can talk about how strict our parents were or we can talk about <laughs> what classical instrument did they force you to learn? So there's like so many different things about uh, that experience that were really unique and fun. But, you know, after a little bit, those conversations stop because you just need to focus on the project that you're doing and what's the project at hand. <laughs> and so you kind of lose the distinction. And that's great because it's like all of a sudden it's like, no, no longer are we like making a movie and reveling in the fact that we are the Asians and this is something that's unique, but it becomes normalized. And that normalization of the process is what's the most powerful thing is because you shouldn't be feeling you shouldn't. If things are truly equal in the world, 100% equal, then anytime you do something, you're never feeling special because you're doing something that is like not. Yeah, it's like, it's so it became very normal for everyone. I think that was actually more powerful in a lot of ways for people to feel like they did deserve to belong there. There was not an imposter syndrome running through the set. Everyone was just stoked to be a part of a bigger project and part of the director's vision. And that's the thing, like whenever I walk around uh, or even watch TV or whatever, if I see an Asian male in a commercial, it sticks out to me. Like it still, it still hit me. It's like <laughs> that's strange. Like this is this is not yeah usual. You just and, don't see it that much. Yeah, and I hope, as you said, you know, it will become less of a oh no, this is this is different. This should be like oh no, this is all the same. This is part of the thing. That's it's more about we're making very amazing uh, creation rather than like oh who are the people part of it making that creation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think. It's, it's also like the problem with like Asians in entertainment is because there hasn't been a preset precedent of like, yeah, there are tons of Asian actors out there. You too can be an Asian actor if you're Asian. You can be an actor. No problem. It's like <laughs> the role models that I had growing up were like John Cho and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and mm -hmm. then Jackie Chan and Jet Li. That's about it. It really didn't go much further than that. When I was in college, I found out about B.D. Wong, and I was like, holy crap, who is this person? They are a god. Because I just <laughs> had never seen such a serious actor that was an Asian before. So like, mm -hmm. I have that inspiration growing up, and I think the reason that representation is important in every single aspect of the world, whether it's cosplay, or whether it's uh, uh, even like, you know, being a music. executive at a job, okay. music, mm -hmm. whatever it is, is that you need people to be inspired. It's very basic. You just need to see someone that inspires you. And a lot of ways that people get inspired is seeing someone that looks like them or reminds them of a part of themselves. Like there's a reason that those uh, that the YouTube content community has been so strong and so powerful is because you get to have someone like Lily Singh step out there and represent women and colored women. You get to have someone like uh, Miss Glamorazzi step out there and represent the LGBTQ community and Hannah Hart and all that stuff. Like you get to have people that stand out there that when you look at them and you are that same thing, you go, oh my gosh, they're doing it. 
that makes me feel like I can do it too. And it does seem really basic to be like, oh my gosh, I just need someone to show me the way. But that's just how humans work. It's like not something to really argue with. It's just we all get inspiration from different places. And so being a presence in that field and showing people that, hey, I can do it. And this is me confidently doing it. And this is me showing myself and bearing my personality out there and telling you guys how I feel and sharing these things with you is helping you journey, go, sort of be on that journey too. Yeah. Role models. That's that's pretty much what it is. Um, with Asian American, there what there wasn't a lot, and you know I'm I'm glad we're getting. I mean, you're one of them now. I won't be surprised. Some kids gonna come up to you some days and they're like, oh, you know, I want to start, you know, acting more, you know, doing all this stuff because you they see you in it. Yeah, you know, I I can't tell you how many times. So I'm always my brother is Freddie Wong, and I'm we're constantly I still live with him, and we go out a lot still together, and we go you know vacation with our family or whatever, or we'll travel together. And I'd say the number one thing that people tell to him when they see him and they recognize him is that you, they'll, they'll say to him these specific words, you are the reason why I am doing VFX now, or you are the reason why I am a, a, a filmmaker now. Um, and that is, I think, the one of the most powerful things in the world. I, I can, I almost guarantee, Jessica, if you're still in chat, there's that has to be one of the most common things that someone tells you is you're the reason I went into cosplay. And I'm sure you've heard this too, Martin. Like you're the reason that I started. I picked up a photographer, uh, a camera, and became a photographer. I started dabbling more in this thing. Mm. It's like we all get inspiration from somewhere. If I could meet the people I loved growing up as actors, I would tell them the same thing. It's very empowering. Like yeah, it feel like empowering, and it feel like, and it's make me want to do more. Yeah, like I mean, like it's like you realize that your what you're doing is an impact has an impact. And that impact is filled with positivity and love and sharing and kindness. And that you're inspiring someone to not go out and be a mass murderer, but you're inspiring that person <laughs> to create. You're inspiring that person to do something that makes them happier. And maybe by virtue, by that, they're going to make someone else happier. And maybe, just maybe, they can also inspire someone else in their life. Even if it isn't to the same degree that you inspired them, what if it was just them inspiring their little brother or their little sister or them inspiring a friend at school or them stepping up to a bully because they saw someone else in their life do it uh, on a video somewhere or they heard the advice of someone else. Like these are the impacts that it has in the And I hate to make this comparison, but in the same way that when you are around someone and you unknowingly pass on a virus like Corona to them, you can mm -hmm. also unknowingly pass on inspiration by just being that thing. And that inspiration is like a virus. It will spread to someone else. I was thinking the exact same thing. It was like, oh yeah, that's the sounds like, wait, we were just talking about something like this, about spreading this, but yeah. So spreading inspiration, that should be, that's a good motivation. I mean, that's many times I want to give up actually. We have a lot of type mm -hmm. of content creation I do, but but every time I go to events, there's at least one person that would come up and you know tell me, you know, they're very inspired with what you know I'm doing, my friends are doing, and it just made me realize, oh wow, like I'm not just making contents uh, for myself, for some of the audience or somebody to watch. I am actually making something that makes someone else want to start creating more. So yeah. it's just, then it's, then you're not just making one creation. You're actually inspired to make hundred thousand, even more like a tree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and like, I, I think no one should ever downplay their impact in the world because everything's relative. Like, so again, someone that watches me in a show and then goes home and says, I want to be an actor now because of that person. Let's say you could rate their, the amount that I inspired them out of 10. And let's say that my inspiration to them was an eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone out there as well should feel bad that like, well, I can never be 
at that level, I'm never going to be in a Disney movie or whatever, because me inspiring someone eight out of 10 does not mean that you cannot. It can be in a completely different realm. It doesn't need you to be a celebrity to do so. You could literally just give someone a hug on a day that they really needed one. And that could have the same impact, if not more impact of inspiration on them than me being in the movie or whatever it is that inspired them. You know, like, so I think it's really important for people to realize that the position that you're in in the world does not change the impact that you can have on other people. It's like happiness, sadness, and all the stuff. Inspiration is not something that has a quota. You can't be like, oh yeah, you got eight out of 10, I max, I'm good. It's everything add up, you know, a compound too, and exponentially mm -hmm. growth. Like, I'm sure I get my inspiration also not from one person, you know, from yeah. my parents, from everything I see online, from multiple people, and it kind of add up and it kind of change who you are and make you want to create more and become more than what you were doing. Like yeah, one, totally. one of the things that I you, you you told me and actually stick with me every day now, and that actually you, <laughs> like you inspire me. Okay, you have inspired me. Okay, um, great. This is uh like I remember like it was either last year or the year before I've asked you like what because you know we were talking about. I know how what do you do in our life and talking about like you know maybe having a, a goal or like how do you have a you know a life coach all kind of stuff but end up uh -huh. being this one thing you told me and it's, again it still stick with me is that having a goal and then all you have to do is that each day try to get closer toward to that oh, goal. oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i still remember like not only i remember it i actually tell people the same thing as well you know like you can yeah. do baby step or like you know and slowly gradually get more difficult and take on bigger task, but that is true, you know, especially with this whole coronavirus going on. Like recently I told someone the same thing. It's like people are saying they feel uninspired. They feel that dreading, existential crisis, all kind of stuff. And I yeah. told them the same thing, you know, you just have a either small goal or have some, some short-term goals, some long-term goals. Just very easy to make those tasks. Like do the things that you can become closer to it. It could be yeah. in the beginning to say getting out of the bed. That's it. And then the next day could be getting out of bed and, you know, put on clothes. And then yeah, the next day yeah, could be yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. get out of bed, put on clothes and, you know, uh, go out for a walk. Like those eat those small steps is how we get to closer to where we want to be. And that is your inspiration for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, I've been very lucky in my life to have uh, a few mentors that gave me similar advice that I've taken into my own life and sort of formulated over time to make it apply to what you know what i see is true and like those sorts of lessons and mm -hmm. one of those things was like the first time i met or talked to this one uh mentor his name was glenn kaino he's like an amazing artist and photographer and he you know he said like every single thing makes a difference when you start understanding and crystallizing like what your goals are and he was like what's your six-year goal and i was like i have no freaking clue he's just like we'll make one it doesn't matter if it's accurate it doesn't matter if you're actually going to get there but if you, like I told you, if you don't have something, if you don't know, if you look in the horizon and you don't know where you're going, what direction you're going, then when every time you take a step, you're not going to know if you're necessarily working closer to that goal or if you're going further away from it. And let's say you have to make a decision between A and B and you know where your goal is. Mm -hmm. It's it's 20 miles that direction northwards. Let's say it's just straight north and you have mm -hmm. a direction and you have two things, A and B, and you think about, okay, what course am I going to take? And if A takes you 20% closer to where you're going, want to go, than B does, then you're obviously going to take A. But if you don't have that goal crystallized in your mind, you might choose B. And you might make more choices choosing B than you do choosing A over the course of your life. 
and then you'll find that you're just slowly not actually progressing towards your goal as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. And it also inspires you. It like it's the thing that it's like, hey, I'm I want to do this thing, and it brings me closer to what I want to do. That is going to add some points into the happiness meter in my life. I would I would assume because you're doing something that is more closer to what your heart's desire is. Are you getting closer to yours? I think so. I mean, I'm doing this podcast with you, so I'm definitely getting very close to my heart's desire. Oh, God, God dang it. I, 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 oh, that's awesome. mm. That makes me feel it's good. Deep. It's deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very deep. <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, all the questions I have for you and just like chit chat anyway. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, I don't know. I mean, definitely like Ryan just said, stealing that. That's good. Please do spread the message. It's not mine to begin with, right? It's something that I learned from someone else and it's helped me through so many different hard parts of my life, which is knowing where I want to go helps me get there faster. And it helps make the every decision I make easier. And it helps inspire me more on days that are really tough. It helps me get out of bed when I don't, you know, I think like a lot of people might be able to identify this people that are parents, people that have kids. Do you want to be a parent? Oh, totally. And I think the moment that you have a child, it's one of those things that crystallizes your goals and your visions really, really clearly, which is just like, all of a sudden, you have this living thing and this creature that needs your assistance and your love to become something. And you can so easily solidify, I want my child to be this kind of person or whatever it is. And <laughs> then from that, it's a goal that you can, it makes you wake up every day. It's like that picture of Homer uh, in The Simpsons, mm, um, with, uh... where it's all for uh, Maggie. He's like, he's in his job and it's a uh, poster that says, don't forget you're here forever. And he pastes pictures of Maggie over it. And it comes instead of don't forget you're here forever. It says, do it for her. her. So mm -hmm. like, I think that's like a very clear real life example of when you can crystallize a goal and it helps you drive you and gets you up every day and gets you into the office. It gets you doing whatever it is. And oh my god jessica please put a baby in ryan i would love to see that happen um but yeah like that's one of those things that really helps i think like that's that's like a good real life example of how this works um in terms of inspiring people and why goals are really important yeah i oh man i mean i i'm planning to have kids some days too that's it's again here's the thing too i think it's is an idea that instilled in me because of you know my parents and same thing. And now that I'm older as well, there are a few things or few things I do or few times I realize like, oh my god, I'm just like my father. Mm -hmm. But then also at the same time, it's like, oh my god, I'm just like my father. It kind of makes me like surprised but also proud at the same time because he was, you know, he wasn't still my hero. You know, it's uh, someone that I'm really proud of yeah. and someone I look up to. And me getting a little bit closer to that made me feel like. Oh wow! I'm doing my parents proud, and hopefully, I can do the same thing for my kids someday. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, that's great. I mean, that's like awesome thing to kind of reflect on, and I think that's also why I always recommend people get therapy is because I don't think a lot of people are comfortable uh, yet even saying this is what I want because there's so many other things in their lives that stop them from just saying the words I want this. Uh, it's usually like I want to this thing is in the way and then this is going to happen and i'm worried about this and like we kind of sometimes become our own worst enemies and so i think mm -hmm. being able to have conversations with people that help you broaden your horizons can be really really helpful how so both you and your brothers make a lot of amazing stuff and you're both you know great in your own ways mm -hmm. how how are your parents feeling about you guys i mean especially you guys are not doing uh traditional doctor lawyers the traditional thing yeah yeah uh, then i mean whatever we do is definitely not a normal job career 
but of course, oh, you know, yeah, you guys made it too. But yeah, how, how did your parents feel about that? The number one thing that my mom always like do what you want to do as long as when you're doing it, you can support a family as a result of it. So she was always very family oriented. Um, mm -hmm. And that made a lot of sense to me. And it and my dad was someone that also came to uh, the United States that didn't have a single, you know, couldn't didn't know any English, didn't speak a lick of the language, but then studied and went to community colleges to learn English and eventually landed in Harvard and went to Harvard Medical School and became an anesthesiologist. So he's someone that very much believes in the American quote unquote dream, which is apply yourself, you can become anything you want. Mm -hmm. And so I think my dad also had a similar view outlook of what me and Freddie did in the career, which is just like, hey, you guys do this thing. I don't know what it is. I know that it doesn't insurance and it doesn't come with a salary. But if you apply yourselves and do your, do it correctly, then there is, of course, the potential for success. And so as long as you are, you know, challenging yourself to the utmost to do that, then what do I have to complain about? Only if you are, if I can tell that you're not doing your best or that it's just not working out, then we should reevaluate. But he was someone that, you know, was someone that took the American dream and made it his own reality. So I think he also has that sort of mentality about it as well. So we're very, very lucky to have parents that were not going to force us to become engineers or whatever it is. Um, and that I think had a huge impact on both of us growing up. But you've made it like, I mean, at least I, I mean, like, yes, you, it's, you could argue go for that. <laughs> yes, I have quote unquote made it. If you wanted to like get precise about it, you could say that. So that is something that I think I can like be proud of as well. And I obviously am proud of where I Were I've you worried? To. Were you ever worried that like, oh, I'm not do making the right choice doing this content creation or like acting? <laughs> like, did you ever get scared? Uh, I mean, I guess every day was scary, but I think maybe, maybe it was just more that I just kept my head down and kept working at it while looking ahead not like kept my head down and not seeing where i was mm. going but just i just kept grinding and i felt that the were there and i felt that this was something that really brought me a lot of joy and so i just kept at it and does it spark joys yes it sparked joy marie kondo would be proud uh so i just kept at it and i think that like my persistence and hopefully the connections that i made and the friendships that i made along the way helped me get to a place where the opportunities that i've been waiting for when they finally presented themselves i was ready and experienced enough to take give it my best effort and show that i was ready and prepared for whatever that challenge was that's what i always said you know like uh especially for us being content creator being you know influencer whatever you guys want to call it what we do um there's no one-to-one -one ratio like you can't say i put in an hour of work you get x amount mm -hmm. of paycheck uh, like you no know, regular paycheck job yes you do something you definitely get something back but for what we do we don't have that but it doesn't negate for us to work harder in fact right being a content creator for me is that we work even harder it's not a it's not an easy way out it's just more of like you know working hard at it and hopefully that, you know, we someday when the opportunity arrives, we're ready for it. And you know, that's kind of like what. Um, yeah, isn't that what like, was it? Luck is opportunity meets preparation. So that is. We're getting there. Uh, actually, yeah, Ashley brought up a good point. Uh, show me your nails. Like, I know you painted it for the um, red carpet as well, right? My, I painted for my red carpet and I repainted them for the uh, video I just did. So there's a... <laughs> That's a little too bright. This is a smiley face on my ring finger. This is a heart on my pinky. 
uh-huh this is a uh, that's why i can't see it's like kind of like it's like oh there you oh, go it's kind of like a flame sticker uh-huh yeah danning did this my friend danning and then this is a little cute baby coronavirus with eyes oh okay okay <laughs> and then this is the chinese symbol for love love i yeah yeah but the song i did was about the coronavirus so i wanted to do something that was cheeky and fun and so this mm. little cute little this cute little baby boy where it's yeah. all at well hopefully if anyone learned anything from this podcast is you know spread some love less hate go yeah, away with that less racism more love and you know honestly the most I can ask for and the most I would want to ask for is if you see something going on that doesn't, that you know is wrong, then say something. Like your voice in that situation might be the most important thing ever because the person that's being attacked or whatever might not be in the right position to change that other person's mind. But you as a bystander, as the third party, might be the most important part of that equation. And so mm-hmm. don't be afraid to speak. Um, obviously, prioritize your own safety first. But of course, you speaking up, can make the biggest difference in the world. So don't be afraid if if that is something that, you know, just please don't be afraid. <laughs> it's, it's, it's especially a scary time. People are just scared, yeah. right? Don't be, don't be, don't talk down on them, but just don't, you know, people are doing this stuff out of fear. They're not doing it. I think for the most part, I think 99% of the time they're doing it out of fear, not out of an actual hatred. I think mm-hmm. it reflects more upon them than it does the person that they're yelling at. So it's one of those things. If, I think if you approach it with love and reason and a good energy, you can diffuse that kind of situation and actually make a difference in someone's life. Sidetrack. Have you heard the story of this? Uh, I forgot his name, but he's a black person. But he infiltrated, lack of better term, oh, the KKK. Uh, KKK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's... Uh, like one of Reddit's favorite people to talk about. <laughs> yeah, he slowly converted a bunch of KKK away from KKK, and they finally realized, like, oh, what we're you know whatever they're spreading lies and hatred in there was not really what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I also read a few story about how some of the KKK member was like, finally one day they wake up and say, like, wait, this is, doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. Yeah, Daryl Davis is his Darryl name. Daryl Davis, yes. He uh, he convinced 200 Ku Klux Klan members to give up their robes. In the and and my girlfriend was saying this. It just he they these people just needed to have a friend that was black, and that changed it all mm-hmm. because they just did not have that. They didn't know anything otherwise, and then they just had fear in their hearts. And the moment they realized, oh, this dude's just a human, just like everyone else, that maybe what we're doing is wrong that is like honestly what changed mm-hmm. all these people's minds and that's like huge so as you what same thing as you said you know exposure and uh representation that's why that can change how people see things yeah totally yeah awesome so yeah make, make sure you look that up um it's pretty awesome read the article uh the npr one i just linked in chat daryl davis d-a-r-y-l space davis that's great. Yeah, this is a great story. And hopefully some days I can do more helping, you know, people just be more kind and is understanding how others are. We're working on I that. I guarantee you, you will be able to. And that you are. <laughs> thank you, Jamie. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. How can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's probably the best one. It's just at J-F-W-O-N-G. It's the same for Instagram as well. Those are the two platforms I stay most active on. I used to do a lot more YouTube stuff. Um, but I do have a cooking channel called Feast of Fiction that I still do there. And we're actually coming out with a cookbook next uh, month, mm-hmm. April 28th, 
obviously go and watch Mulan when it does come out. Your support would be huge, huge, huge. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, check out the cookbook. It's called The Feast of Fiction Kitchen. You can pre-order it right now. We do recipes from your favorite TV shows, animes, video games, movies, and more. Um, Where can you pre-order it? You can pre-order it on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, um, off of basically almost any website. So just check that out for sure. Awesome. Well, everyone, please check that out and maybe pre-order it right now. <laughs> wow, this Jessica, it's already wrapping you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jessica. So kind. Much appreciated. Best awesome. mod, yeah, for sure. She has the first <laughs> by her name for a reason. Well, thank you so much for joining the stream. Uh, we all had a great time. Uh, you know, Again, check this out. Check out Jimmy. Uh, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. Uh, you know, also, check out his YouTube. No, his YouTube is amazing. Um, Thanks, guys. <laughs> I very much appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And have a great night. Bye-bye.